cares? And he said, don't. <laughs> Wisdom from our leadership. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, you got to listen to it. You got to listen to it for sure. Uh, well, our, our minds are pretty amazing things. Uh, God did a masterful job in designing our brains. Granted, some brains seem better designed than others. I will give you that. But weighing in at just over three pounds, these marvels of creation have been able to make incredible contributions to our life, to our way of life. As a society, we've been able to grow things, build things, design things, create things, destroy things. It's been fascinating to see what we've been able to do with our brains like no other part of creation. And of course, to acknowledge such, a, such achievements, we created a holiday to give our brains a break. And if you haven't gotten it already, it is Labor Day weekend, all right? So make sure you're busting out the grills. Make sure you are uh, really kind of putting a, um, a period or hopefully an exclamation point on the end of your summer, because that's kind of what Labor Day is, right? It's kind of kids are going back to school. Parents are like, yay. Kids are like, ugh. Um, but we're excited about kind of getting back into the routine, and we're anticipating the fall colors and anticipating the fall schedule and all that comes with it. And it's pretty incredible um, to see what's going to happen. Uh, we're looking forward to at least seeing what's going to happen even here at South Suburban. And uh, the nice thing is that uh, this weekend, hopefully, you've got some plans already in store. You're inviting the neighbors over. You've got your, uh, your favorite uh, family recipe and marinade for your Angus beef and bacon and... Oh... Sorry, just having, got distracted there a minute. Um, but uh, pull out the cornhole and just have some fun not using your brain, which is usually why people say, hey, hold my cup and watch this. Ay, ay, ay. But keep your brain intact. But Labor Day, if you think about it, isn't really something we think about much, is it? I mean, not like Christmas, not like Easter. It's, we go through the list of like paid holidays for work and we're like, Labor Day, hey, three-day weekend, this is great, you know, but how did it even get started? I mean, really, I mean, what's that all about? Someone just decided to take a vacation day? Like, no. Well, not going to bore you with tons and tons of history, but yes, basically the uh, latter part of the 1800s is when, uh, I think it was Oregon was the first state to create its own kind of Labor Day, and you guessed it, kind of all the labor movement, labor, labor parties are the ones that kind of really pushed for a day to honor all the hard workers in our country. And it took a few years, but eventually it became a federal holiday, and we get paid for not working. So uh, looking forward to it. But um, Labor Day is just kind of one of those interesting things, um, but it's nice to be able to give our brains a break. And how many guys already have plans to do nothing tomorrow? You need to work on your plans. You need to spend some brain power planning on doing nothing. Uh, your brain is incredible. And, and here's some fun facts in um, because I got distracted in preparing for the message, so I thought I'd share it with you. I'm human. I get distracted. What can I say? But our brains have about 86 billion nerve cells or neurons and trillions, trillions of synapses connecting those neurons. It's an amazing creation. Making up only 2% of our body weight, it uses 20% of our total energy and oxygen intake. And just 2% dehydration. This is important for those of us in this high elevation. 
2% dehydration of your brain will impact your attention, your memory, and other cognitive skills. Drink a glass of water if you're not feeling up to it. Neurons fire at about 1,000 impulses per second. It's incredible. And the brain isn't fully formed, teenagers, until you're 25. Most of us parents already knew that. And the average brain is, about, is thought to generate 50,000 thoughts per day. 50,000. For men, half of those are actually worth thinking about. And half of those half are always about one thing. Bacon. <laughs> but today's message is not about the human brain itself, but rather on the decision-making abilities of our minds. What God gave us the ability to do is to make a choice. And something Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the church of Philippi caught my attention. And it was actually a bit alarming. And we'll dive into that text in just a little bit. But let me ask you this. Have you ever kind of sat around the fire pit and played maybe a game of would you rather? When I asked some of the staff, like, hey, I want to kind of do this thing on Sunday. Give me some ideas for a would you rather. It, it involved a baseball bat and some shards of glass and a slide. I'm like, um, let's try a different option, okay? So how many of you guys have ever played a would you rather? It, it's pretty simple. There you go. Nothing to be ashamed of, and you're about to. So this is going to require some audience participation, and you don't have to say anything. Gentlemen, you can just grunt, um, or you can keep sipping your cup of coffee, and it's totally fine. But here we go. Pretty harmless one. Would you rather always be 10 minutes late or 20 minutes early? How many would like to be 10 minutes late? All right. How many of you guys would rather be 20 minutes early? Wow, that's impressive. Would you rather be completely invisible for one day or be able to fly for one day? Invisible? How many of you guys would want to be invisible for a day? What about being able to fly for a day? Wow, nice, all right. Would you rather be locked in a room that is constantly dark for a week or a room that is constantly bright for a week? How about completely dark? Like, oh, wow, okay. And completely bright? Good luck sleeping? Oh, I can close my eyes really, really tight. All right, would you rather be able to teleport anywhere or to be able to read minds <laughs> how many of you guys would like to teleport <laughs> oh how many of you guys would like to read someone else's mind oh how many would like to abstain <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> nice and here's the last one would you rather be famous when you are alive and forgotten when you die or unknown when you are alive, but famous after you die. So how many would like to be famous now? How many of you guys would like to be famous later? Oh, neat. That is so neat. All right, very simple. But here's the thing. Those are a lot of very harmless questions. And, and the neat thing is that, well, basically it's all about personal preference, and it's based on your own values God designed us to make choices, and we make choices based on personal values all the time. It's what lets us choose hairstyles, paint colors, what outfit to wear this morning, and even your preferred Airbnb destination. We make choices all the time, but the brain actually makes choices without your permission. 
involuntarily. You make choices, you make decisions, and you may not even be aware of it. Psychologists have called one aspect of this as inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness. It's not a disorder. It's actually part of God's design. In order to focus on what's most important, your brain ignores certain things that are going on, certain movements, certain activity. Doctors Christopher Shabriz and Daniel Simons are known for their... um, what is we call this? The invisible gorilla test. And maybe you guys have seen this on YouTube or something like that. If not, I'd certainly recommend it. And there's actually some different variations of it. But in this test, you basically have a group of people. Some are wearing a white shirt. Others are wearing a black shirt. And they're passing basketballs around. All right? I could not be in that because I would drop it. That's just how coordinated I'm not. And as they're passing these basketballs around, what is, the observer is asked to count the number of times that a person with a white shirt passes the basketball. Fairly simple. And so they start passing the basketball, and of course the observer, you start counting every time you see someone who's wearing a white shirt pass the ball. But in this study, over half the people who counted, who participated in the study, missed, missed the gorilla walking through the crowd. They got the number of basketballs correct, you know, 16 passes or whatever the number was, but they totally missed that the good doctors had actually put someone in a gorilla suit and had them walking through the midst of that crowd of basketball players. The people were so focused so intent on counting the basketballs being passed that they totally missed a gorilla waving at them. Inattentional blindness. It happens, and it's how God designed us. Your brain can really only focus on one thing at a time. Now, we're good at switching back and forth, and we like to think it's efficient for multitasking and getting work done, but our eyes have what's known as a field of view, and it's about the size of a fingernail. If you think about it, you're only able to focus on something so small, and the rest of it is rather blurry. Drive down the road, and you'll notice that you can focus on one vehicle, but the rest of it, the rest of the vehicles are blurry. The street signs are blurry. The cow on the side of the highway chewing its cud is blurry. But that's how God designed us. You see, the brain makes a number of assumptions in providing filler information from what's outside of that field of view. Now, how many of you guys have ever been around some illusionist or you've know, gone to a car trip? Oh, it happens. You know, whether you're at a, a well, restaurant or you're in Las Vegas and there's a, um, a street illusion, illusionist there. Here's the amazing thing. These illusionists are banking on your brain to be functioning normally. They understand a field of view. Because these illusionists, they're pointing to one thing while in the meantime, you're distracted, you know, you're distracted with that uh, deck of cards, um, but in the meantime, he's actually pulling a rabbit out of the hat or he's taking one card and sticking it on his forehead. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You, you think, well, wait, I, how did they... Back up, rewind. It's because you can only focus on one thing and you totally miss what's going on over here. 
This isn't a message about self-doubt or even second-guessing our decisions, not looking for that. You see, God designed our brains this way. It's a means of efficiency, of survival, and even effective decision-making to be able to parse out what's important and what's not important. This is more of a message about making decisions and living our life in a vacuum. It's a message about how you and I can, dis- can convince ourselves that right is wrong and wrong is right. We can undermine what God wants to do in our lives. Now, we've talked about some pretty harmless stuff. Let's raise the stakes with this question. How often do you make decisions based on self-deception without even knowing it? We see family members do this all the time. We see coworkers do this all the time, don't we? Family and friends who are dead set on ignoring facts and will see a situation one particular way. Warning signs for a business deal are ignored for the sake of a goal. People engaged in unhealthy relationships and addictive habits minimize the impact of what they're doing. What about groupthink as it infiltrates a team and derails people from making the best decision? People kind of convince themselves that one way is the right way and they miss it. They miss the reality. James, the half-brother of Jesus, understood our propensity for self-deception. In fact, he wrote about it in James chapter 1, verse 22. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to James chapter 1. It's there in the New Testament towards the end. Page 6,543. Just kidding. If you don't have a Bible, there's some right underneath uh, the seat in front of you. James 1.22 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. How does it end? Deceiving yourselves. Hold on. I need more than that, don't you? Tell you what, let's back up a little bit. Let's go to verse 19, and we'll read from there. He says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And then here's a fun one. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Here's that deceive word again. Oh, and the religion is worthless. Keep a tight rein on my tongue? Are you serious? Folks, that's hard work, right? I mean, keeping a tight rein on our tongue, that alone deserves a holiday, right? We need to have like no filter Fridays where we can kind of take a break from, you know, keeping a tight rein on our tongues. Oh, man. 
It would be amazing to have a no-filter Friday. But in all seriousness, the more important fact James points out is that a person can be self-deceived. You and I can think we are doing the right thing, but in all actuality, am not. We feel like we are making the right choice, but are gravely mistaken. And simply put, we are undermined. The writer of the proverb in Proverbs 14, 12 gives us a wake-up call. As it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. When you read later in the book, in the latter part of the book of Judges, you'll see that there's this consistent thought that goes through, and they say everyone did what they thought was best in their own eyes. Are you just kidding me? The nation of Israel in the book of Judges was a mess. They were going back and forth from serving God to disobeying God, serving God, disobeying God. Oh, my goodness. They kept on doing things that were right in their own eyes. They kept deceiving themselves and standing in opposition to God. Now, I admit, it's much easier to be a critic on this side of the story. There's no land to conquer and no bulls to sacrifice as they were having to do in the days of the judges. Yet I find myself doing exactly what the Israelites did. I'm sure this isn't you. I'm sure this isn't how you handle obedience. But sometimes it's how I do. You see, to me, one of the greatest tragedies of self-deception is that we can convince ourselves we are following Christ, but in actuality we stand in direct opposition to God. Isn't that the crux of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis? The church was believing one thing, but Martin Luther went to the book, the good book, and saw what the scriptures said. I want to take a few moments here to talk about how you and I can often deceive ourselves when it comes to sin. You see, I don't know, I grew up in an era when it was kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll was kind of the theme, where it's like you can't do this and you can't do that. How many of you guys kind of know what I'm talking about? You know, that was, that was kind of our youth ministry. It's like work hard to make sure that you don't do anything wrong. And it was this big focus on sin management, Sin management doesn't work, does it? How? No. Well, here's my little gift to you. There's us, all right? And, you know, of course, we were designed to be pure and holy. When you think about Adam and Eve, you think of God's original intent, and, man, he had some great plans for us. Yet, you and I, what happens? Yeah, we sin. Something goes awry in our lives and we sin. Pick your sin, doesn't matter. And, you know, then of course we have kids and we sin some more. Kids, right? But then we go to God and say, God, I am so, so sorry. Please forgive me. And the neat thing about God is, man, he covers over our sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin. It's still a part of our history. But guess what? It's not accounted, counted against us. But we're human, aren't we? It's not held against us, but you and I still struggle with sin. We have those bad days. 
Sometimes, let's face it, guys, we have some pretty bad weekends, don't we? <laughs> right? We sin. And we go back to God and say, oh, God, please help me. I promise I'll never, ever, 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 ever do that again. How many of you guys have had kids promise that to you? Right? How many of you guys ever promised that to God? Right? You guys aren't being honest. We'll add that to your list, right? <laughs> but this doesn't work, this back and forth, this trying to have some sort of agreement with God or trying to somehow be really, 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 really good. Well, we kind of miss what God's wanting to really do in our lives. You see, we're not supposed to do this in our own strength. We're supposed to do this relying on God, relying on His Holy Spirit. When we ask Christ to come in our lives, it's not like Jesus the man actually comes into us. That's physically impossible. But the Holy Spirit does. And you see, what's supposed to happen is that you and I are supposed to add more and more of God in our lives. You're doing it right now. When we come here together as a community of believers and we worship God, and we honor God, and we listen to His Word, and we digest it. We are actually putting more and more of God in our lives. When we're obedient to what He's asked us to do, guess what? That act of obedience is putting more and more of God in our lives. And imagine this. Instead of trying to go back and forth, trying to manage sin, what would happen if you and I were to simply put more and more and more of God in our lives? There's no more room for the sin. It just rolls off the stage. Instead of trying to deceive ourselves in managing sin, pour more of God into your life. Are you going to be perfect? No. But it's a process. The Bible calls that sanctification. It's, it's basically more of Jesus, less of me. <laughs> we, we want to continually have God pouring into our lives. You see, God pours into us so that we can pour into others. We're not simply supposed to come here and absorb. We're not simply supposed to know about God. We're supposed to know God. That's the Christian life. We are to be the messengers of hope, messengers of good news, messengers of the gospel. You see, when God pours into us, we can be a light of joy and encouragement to others. We can be a steady voice and, of gentleness and kindness in the midst of div division. We can be peacemakers in a world of chaos. And we can demonstrate patience with others in the same way God demonstrates patience with me. As God pours his spirit into your life, be fertile soil for the fruit of the Spirit to flourish and to overflow. Now, in order for God to pour into our lives, we've got to face the fact that where we stand matters. If you're going to receive from God, where you stand matters because we need to stand where God is pouring. While God is tenacious, 
tenacious in pursuing the lost. If you haven't asked Christ into your life, guess what? God is coming after you. He's not going to let up. He's not going to leave you alone because he is willing to leave the 99 churchy people who already are saved and know him just to find the one person who is far from God. He's going to hunt you down. He's not going to break your thumbs, though, as Pastor Patrick said. He's going to come after you. And though he will come after you as an unbeliever, for those of us that have already said yes to Jesus, he handles things a little differently. He wants us to grow up. He wants to move us from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. And though he may coddle you in the beginning of your walk with him, he may coax you along. He'll be gentle and he'll be kind, of course, because he's a loving father. There are times, as with earthly fathers, when he needs to raise his voice, when he need, needs to lovingly take his hands off and say, there's some natural consequences with the choice you just made. For the 99, God expects us to mature. And the Bible describes this maturity process as sanctification. It's, it's essentially aligning our will with God's will. And though sanctification is kind of a, a mouthful of a word, as I said earlier, it's more of Jesus and less of me. As Coloradans, you certainly have your share of potholes, don't we? Oh, yes. And if you don't have to get your vehicle realigned every year, you've been, you've been the lucky one to avoid all of those potholes. But a vehicle out of alignment cannot naturally drive along the straight and narrow. In fact, it takes more work and more effort to move in the right direction. A vehicle out of alignment causes more wear and tear on the vehicle. It creates unnecessary hardship and can be avoided even if the potholes can't be. If you were to read in Joshua chapter 7, you would pick up on um, where the Israelites have just conquered Jericho. It was the first city in their conquest of the promised land. Moses has passed away. Joshua is at the helm. He's leading the Israelites forward and being obedient to God, and they, they have an amazing victory at the battle of Jericho. But then there is the battle of Ai, it was a little town, but it was a strategic town. And the advisor said they only needed about 3,000 soldiers to go in and to defeat Ai. And so Joshua sent them in, and they were routed. Something went wrong. And the problem is that they didn't know that Achan had sinned. Achan, one of the men of Israel, had taken the plunder of Jericho for himself. You see, Jericho was, supposed, was off limits, essentially. It was considered a first fruits kind of offering to God for the victory. It was sort of a tithe, if you will. And Achan stole, essentially, from God, and he hid it, and he hid it in his tent, and no one knew about it except for his family and God, and God couldn't honor that misalignment. And so as you read in Joshua chapter 7 and then Joshua chapter 8, you see that God had to deal with, and Joshua and the nation of Israel had to deal with the sin. They had to get back in alignment with God's commands. 
and once they did that, they could receive from God. They were then standing where God was pouring. And God blessed them. And God took care of them. You see, we cannot deceive ourselves. God will not bless sin. So when we say to stand where God is pouring, standing firm in our sin is not the place of blessing. We are to repent. We are to make a spiritual U-turn and to get back on the path of God's blessing. So then we have to ask ourselves, are there areas in our life that God has already called out? In what areas are we misaligned and missing God's blessing? Are there sins that we are trying to manage? Hoping to get by with it. We're missing out and we're deceiving ourselves. You see, God pours into us so that we can pour into others. We position ourselves so that we can receive from God to be standing where God is pouring, but not so we can just get filled up. But we are walking in obedience as we receive from God and we then pour where God is pointing. God doesn't want a whole bunch of fat and happy Christians. Spiritual gluttony is not an option. God wants us to empty ourselves into the lives of others. And we need to pour ourselves out where God is pointing. So it doesn't take long to see that there's a lot of work to be done in our world, right? There's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of people that know Jesus but don't know Jesus. We're called to make disciples. We're called to transform lives. We're called to make a bigger mark than Satan has in this world. I mentioned earlier that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. I'm going to look at this verse. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says this. It says, Do everything readily and cheerfully, no, no bickering, no second guessing allowed. I love the message paraphrase. Go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night so I'll have good cause to be proud of you on that day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. In some translations, it'll say, in vain. Working in vain. Have you guys ever felt like you're doing something in vain? Your boss asks you to do something, right? And you just know the project is just going to get flushed, right? You work hard to make sure the house is efficient, yet for some odd reason the kids have left the front door open and the air conditioner's on, right? You've been there. You've done that. We labor in vain, and none of us like that feeling. None of us like to waste time. But we are to represent Christ to our community. We are to pour out what we've received from Christ into others. We are to make sure that Christ didn't go to all this work for nothing. As we celebrate Labor Day, 
None of us like to waste our efforts. We don't like to labor in vain. And we can't merely be filled up. We need to be emptied out. We need to pour out where God is pointing. And it's up to us to receive. We need to hear from God and be obedient to what he's asking us to do. We cannot let our minds be deceived and undermine what God wants to do in our lives in how we handle sin and how we handle God's commands. So let me ask you this in conclusion. Has God been directing you to start doing something? Are you being obedient? And has God been directing you to stop doing something? Are you being obedient? We need to be obedient to what God is calling us to do. There's a quote that I'll end with from Mark Batterson, pastor of a Christian church in Washington, D.C. Many of you have already read his book or will be reading his book starting next week. It says, potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift back to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gift. Lord, the gift that helps get rid of our sin. Not helps, it does. Lord, you paid the price, and we can be completely forgiven of our sins. We are so thankful for that. But God, we also know that we're a work in progress. We desperately need you to be pouring into our lives so that there can be less of us and more of you so we can fulfill the plans and purposes you have for us to have the best life ever. And God, we know that we need to be pouring out where you're pointing, to be obedient to where you want us to go, who you want us to share your gospel with, so that none should perish. So God, our prayer this morning, as we get ready to respond to you, is that you would speak to each and every one of us. Show us areas in our life where maybe we've been deceiving ourselves. We've undermined what you want to do in us. Lord, nothing's untouchable. Nothing's off limits. God, I pray that you would speak to each person here, even myself. God, that you would just show us areas that need to get corrected so that we can bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.